Welcome back to Power Hour. Thank you for joining us. Caring about your world. James Corbett joins us today of the Corbett Report. The Corbett Report is an independent listener-supported alternative news source. It operates on the principles of open source intelligence and provides podcast interviews, articles, and videos about breaking news and important issues from 9-11, false flag terror, to big brother police state, eugenics, geopolitics, central banking fraud, and more. He's been living and working in Japan since 2004, and uh, I would encourage you to go to his website, Corbett report.com c-o-r-b-e-t-t report.com and uh, fukushima update.com um report let's see tagebook.com they're all at the uh email uh they'll be in the email uh, blast and also at the power hour guest section we're so pleased to have our regular of the power hour on today thank you james for joining us today well it's always great to be here joyce thank you for having me and a happy new year to you and all your listeners well, thank you very much for that. And yes, uh, we got a new year, and uh, uh, Dow is doing great and setting records, and looks like everybody's happy. Happy days are here again, it appears. Well, it appears that way, but things are not always as they <laughs> appear in the land of finance, as I'm sure your listeners are well aware. And unfortunately, anyone who's been watching this situation developing for the last several years probably knows by now that there is a great degree of manipulation of perceptions that's going on in the market. And that's greatly influencing and affecting the way that people are choosing to invest at the moment. And so, as you say, of course, uh, equities look great and uh, stock market continues to rise and everything appears to have that uh, that loss on it. Oh, everything looks so happy that, in fact, even now as the uh, the world's so-called economic leaders slouch off to Davos, Switzerland to engage in the yearly World Economics Forum, um, Bloomberg uh, today is literally talking about investor animal spirits spreading to companies worldwide, talking about the uh, the old Keynesian notion of, of uh, the animal spirits being let loose to um, to basically the the, uh, the CEOs are getting comfortable enough with this, this economic recovery that we're being told is taking place that they're going to start spending again this year. Honest, it'll be this year that they'll open up the purse strings and start spending and hiring and everything will turn peachy this year or so they want us to believe. Um, I think there's an alternative uh, uh, theory of what's happening right now, but um, but again, the, people can choose to believe what, what they will. I think uh, they should go and take a look at what uh, what the economic talking heads are saying and then compare that to the reality they're living in a day, their day to day lives. Things are not getting better in this country. I mean, uh, with all that we are told about how, you know, jobs are up, this is happening, uh, whatever, you know, in economic indicators they want to try and, you know, put down our throats. Unfortunately, you know, homeless rates are increasing, uh, people losing their homes still increasing. It's just, it's incredible how the agenda attempts to try and sway us with the idea of, hey, everything's fine. You know, you know, smacking of, you know, emperor wears no, you know, the emperor with no clothes. Absolutely right. No, that's, uh, that's unfortunately a very apt analogy for the times we're living in. And you use the phrase jobs are up. In fact, uh, that the, the official word is that unemployment is down, which is a very different thing. Because, of course, as I, I hope your listeners know, the unemployment rate that's, uh, that's fed to the public is a highly manipulated rate. 
rate that's calculated very differently than it was even just a decade or two ago. They keep changing the way that it's calculated, who is unemployed and how many months you have to be unemployed before you're taken off the unemployment rolls, etc., etc., is constantly being manipulated to keep that number artificially low. But uh, the real tale is being told in the uh, the uh, participation rate, the labor participation rate, which is the percentage of employee, employable, employee-age um, uh, Americans who are actually employed in the workforce. And that number continues to drop, um, hitting fresh lows just last month, uh, 35-year lows. We haven't seen these th- this low a labor participation rate since the 1970s. So, I mean, it's it's continuing to, to get more and more of this disconnect between reality and what we're being told in the in the economic headlines that uh, I think you'd have to be pretty dense not to be able to see that discrepancy and realize that there's something very different happening underneath. And that, that thing that is happening underneath, we, we uh, should be very clear, is this age of quantitative easing that we're living through with uh, markets being literally propped up by the, um, the, the, the funny money that's being printed up at the Federal Reserve and not even fed into the economy. I mean, it would be one thing if this money was actually making its way into, their, into the economy, but all it's doing is sitting on the Fed balance books right now and, uh, and purchasing uh, long 10 your treasury bonds to keep the bond yields artificially high, which uh, again, as soon as they start to ease off on the gas pedal there, it's going to uh, to cause a similar problem as we saw when they tried to end QE1 and QE2. There were disturbances, there were um, plummets in the, in the stock markets until the next quantitative easing was announced. And I think we can expect the exact same thing when and if they decide to announce the end of QE3. You know, um, it's also being said that... Um, uh, Bank of America, we covered this a little bit earlier, is actively preparing for the Chinese January 31st trust default. Um, what does this mean? I mean, they're now getting concerned, noting that over 60% of market participants expect the repo rates to rise if a trust product defaults. And based on the analysis, they say there, it, it, you know, that there is a high probability for CEQ1 to default on 31 January. This is an exceptionally important story and not enough people are paying attention to it. So my hat's off to you for for bringing this up. This is, I think this is going to be one of those uh, types of curveballs that has the potential for being the first domino to fall in what could be, you know, the start of a a very disastrous chain of economic events. And in fact, even uh, George Soros, of all people, was writing about this at the beginning of the year, talking about China as being the potential global destabilizer when it comes to the global economy. To understand this story, you have to understand something called wealth management products, which are all the rage among Chinese citizens these days because they offer very attractive rates. They offer 10% uh, rates on for investors. In fact, the average rate is 6%, but often they, they will advertise as much as 10% returns for investors, which is much better than you can get in most uh, investments. So people are, are pouring their money into these. And basically what these are it's um, they're, they're investments that uh, that are uh, in turn invested by the the institution that holds them into into uh, financial markets, into um, bonds, into other things that are not directly um, tied into the, the 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 benchmark rates of the People's Bank of China. So uh, money market funds and, and treasury bonds and trust products, etc. 
And this gives people the, the, the possibility of these large returns. But in fact, what's happening is the money from these investments are being lent into the interbank market in China to lend to other banks, basically. And this is the shadow banking um, industry in, in, in China that has been reared up over the last several years because the Bank of China is, in fact, creating much more money out of nothing than the Federal Reserve. In fact, uh, the Bank of China over the past year has created more money than the Bank of Japan and the Federal Reserve combined have created Whoa, in the past year. Um, that is an, huge. There is an incredible amount of money being created in, uh, in, in China these days to, to keep up the pace of uh, China's growth. Basically, China's growth in the last five years has depended on this constant creation of money by the Bank of China. This has led to these uh, this, this shadow banking sector that's being propped up by these interbank loans through these wealth management products. The problem is every month, these these interbank loans have to be paid back. And if and when one of these um, shadow banking institutions goes under and can't pay that back, then they can't pay the returns on these wealth management products. So what these banks are doing is they're taking the uh, the money that they're they're uh, they're getting from customers from these WMPs, the wealth management products. They're put it, lending it out into the into the shadow banking uh, sector in China. And uh, when and if it fails, they have to issue a new wealth management product in order to get customers to. to to put their money in so that they can um, cover their their losses. And uh, when and if that stops, when and if that, that game of musical chairs ends, the entire uh, Chinese banking sector is in serious trouble. It's, it's basically a Ponzi scheme that's been growing in recent years. And China last year tried to even just ease off on the gas pedal a little bit and say that they were going to tighten up and try to crack down on the shadow banking sector. And when they did so, there was a huge cash crunch in China and uh, some significant problems. So they they had to basically open the spigot again and continue printing. So they are um, they are even more locked into this type of a, a type of quantitative easing um, at the moment than than even the Federal Reserve or the Bank of Japan or these other countries are. And this is extremely important because, of course, China is over uh, surpassing the United States and other economies in category after category after category um, from uh, becoming the largest uh, trading nation on the planet to becoming um, the second um, most used currency for international settlements. I mean, just uh, category after category, China continues to grow and, uh, and eclipse other economies. But unfortunately, so much of their economy is based on this funny money coming from the Bank of China. That is an excellent description of this and, and the severity of the problem in which the Chinese system is undergoing. I, I was not aware that it was that bad, nor that it could be, you know, uh, at a bit of a precipice right now. Um, let me ask you, let me go to another subject, because we don't hear much about the issue of derivatives any, anymore. We used to, and it was like going to be, you know, on the brink of failure because of derivatives, but haven't heard much lately. Uh, the the derivatives crisis and the reason that we were really hearing about it in the first place was, of course, because of the popping of the housing bubble and then Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers and all of that catastrophe really threatened the uh, the, the derivatives that were out there and that uh, there you know the, the the idea of AIG going under and counterparties to various derivative and credit swaps and things like this causing the whole house of cards to collapse and because um, money is being leveraged twenty thirty fifty a hundred times to one in these derivatives deals. Um, the idea of of one of the counterparties, a significant counterparty to these derivatives collapsing, 
um, is just unthinkable. It's nightmarish because, of course, that would send the entire House of Cards collapsing, the entire economy. So that was really why we were hearing about it at the time. Now that that has um, been stabilized, quote unquote, by this uh, this quantitative easing and all of this money liquidity that's been injected, um, largely, for example, in quantitative easing round three that we're currently on, um, with half of that money or forty billion dollars a month going towards the per- purchase of uh, mortgage-backed securities, that has basically propped that up and covered that over for the time being. But that isn't that doesn't mean these deals are unwinding. In fact, derivatives are just as unstable as ever. All right. We'll be back after this four-minute break. Stay tuned to the Power Hour. Joyce Roddy, just because you don't hear about it doesn't mean it's not real. (laughs) That's for sure. We'll be back with James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Power Hour. James Corbett is our guest today. The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com. Uh, he also does the, he is a partner video producer for BoilingFrogsPost.com. That's uh, Sabelle Evans. And he is an editorial writer for the TheInternationalForecaster.com. Uh, check out all of the links at the guest section of the Power Hour. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add uh, regarding derivatives? I know we came up on a break there. Was there anything else you wanted to add, James? Uh, I guess uh, what I said about the wealth management product situ- uh, pr- uh, situation in China is is in some respects applicable to the idea of derivatives throughout the banking s- sector generally around the world. I mean, it's the, the same type of idea where uh, any type of instability can set the whole house of cards tumbling down, like what may or may not be happening right now in China. And as you mentioned, the China Credit Trust Company has already uh, announced to their some of their investors that they will not be repaid on one of these WMP investments on January 31st. And we'll have to see how that plays out throughout the banking sector generally in China and whether the, the, the Bank of China will step in to try to mitigate that in some way. But I think that's, a, that's an instructive example of what can happen with these derivatives trades, which for people who don't know is basically a type of turning the, the, the banking sector itself into a type of casino where you're betting on the, the movements up or down of various uh, goods. So, um, so it's just, it, it turns... The entire uh, the entire economy in in a certain way into into a type of casino where um, if if someone ends up losing big it can send the entire casino crashing down and that that is unfortunately the way that the uh, the entire banking sector has been manipulated over the past couple of decades especially of course derivatives have been around for a long time but it's just in the last decade or two that the uh, the, the the kid gloves have come off and they've really started to use these to leverage up the bubble to just in uh, almost unimaginable numbers and some have estimated as much as a quadrillion dollars of fictitious phony funny money in these derivatives deals, which again, if it unwound, would pretty much bankrupt, um, well, most of the world. And uh, and again, that's that's the type of nightmare scenario that we are always dancing on the head of that pin when when we come to these derivatives deals. So so unfortunately, nothing has fundamentally changed in that dynamic. It's just that uh, the the system itself doesn't seem as in, imminently in danger of collapse as it did back in 2008. But uh, again, this uh, this Chinese example may be instructive of what may or may not be coming to the shores of America. Speaking of coming to the shores of America, Fukushima, a lot of people worried about that. And even one person had the guts to say, this man is so smart 
Mr. Corbett, on your program, why is he living in Japan? <laughs> your response, sir. Absolutely. Well, I get that an awful lot, um, obviously, and uh, and understandably so. I understand uh, certainly why people are saying that. Um, and uh, my response to that is obviously I don't feel that where I am in Japan is uh, is at the point where I'm in imminent danger of my life. I mean, it of course depends what we're doing in terms of myself and my family to to protect ourselves and not not to subject ourselves to the possible contamination. And uh, and since the the contamination itself is primarily located in the ocean at this point. That means that uh, basically my family and I don't eat seafood at this point, which is unfortunate, obviously, living in Japan. It would be wonderful to be able to go to a sushi restaurant and have some nice sushi, but unfortunately, that's not something that I think we'll ever be able to do again, um, just given the, uh, the the state of the contamination that, uh, that again, is, is very much in dispute in terms of how much radiation and where it is and when it's coming to the shores of America, as you just said. said. Um, best estimates are that it has already started arriving and that really the first wave, as it were, of, uh, of major Fukushima radiation spill-off will be coming, um, uh, hitting the shores in, in earnest this year. And on that note, of course, we've seen some big stories uh, and some viral videos, etc., um, talking about this phenomenon and people with Geiger counters out on the beaches on the west coast of the United States, etc. And so there's a lot of uh, confusion and a lot of uh, fear right now, and I think um, some of it justifiable, some of it perhaps not so. And there are unfortunately a lot of questions and not very many answers, as unfortunately there is no U.S. government agency monitoring the spread of this radiation from Fukushima along the West Coast. Let me repeat that. There is no U.S. government agency that is monitoring this spread right now. So um, in order to fill in that gap, um, something that I actually recently posted to my Fukushima website, fukushimaupdate.com, uh, the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institu Institution is um, currently engaging in a crowd-funded uh, project to test to test the uh, the Pacific uh, coast of North America, to test samples, uh, water samples, and to uh, to find out what the the extent of the radiation is, and and um, and to try to differentiate that signal from the the naturally occurring radioactive isotopes in the ocean, and uh, as well as the remnants of the 1950s and 60s open atmospheric nuclear testing, which of course did um, leave a discernible uh, nuclear trail in the oceans. So now um, there's this uh, Woods Hole Institute is uh, starting their own crowdfunded project to try to get this going and see if they can determine what's really the state of the earth. Okay, we'll be back after this three-minute break. We'll take your phone calls also for our guest today, James Corbett. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Power Hour. Thank you for joining us. I'd like to open up the phone lines if you would like to talk to James Corbett yourself. I kind of hug him for myself sometimes, and I do apologize for that. He's so interesting, and there's so many things I'd like to ask him. 855-995-6923. 855-995-6923. If you have a question or comment for James Corbett, um, go to your calls in just a second. But James, you were mentioning Woods Hole. Of course, that oceanographic group is out of uh, Massachusetts, which uh, you would think maybe San Francisco, L.A., San Diego might have a bit of a vested interest in something going on down there, such as Greenpeace or Sierra Club. You haven't heard anything, anything from those people at all. It's kind of like, oh, you know, hear no evil, see no evil. 
Yes, it is interesting how that works, but perhaps, I mean, obviously there are interests to protect along the West Coast, and uh, you wouldn't want to tarnish or blemish that area's image for pristine uh, sightseeing locations and opportunities and all of that goodness. Um, Obviously, radiation concerns play into all sorts of other factors that politicians and people who are in the area wouldn't want to uh, to bring up. So um, so there's always that to think about, and it is interesting, as you say, that this Massachusetts-based institute is uh, the one that's really spearheading the idea of monitoring this radiation. And with your former response, there goes that conspiratorial, undocumented uh, response of yours. Gee, money might have something to do with it. (laughs) And I'm sure it does, ladies and gentlemen, without a doubt. Let's go to John in Missouri. John, you're on the air with James Corbett. Go ahead, please. I thank you very much. I find it very, very interesting that China is, uh, I'll say, printing so much money and doing that. (laughs) Is that why... We hear so much about they're buying gold, they're buying so much more gold that way in case ever something ever is to happen, that they can use that to try to uh, make their, their, their currency look strong. Absolutely. I think that has something to do with it. There's a lot of different reasons that are given as to the the soaring gold demand in China, and some people even talk about the jewelry market, etc. But I think it really does have something to do with the fact that China really is trying to prop up um, their 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 economy with, with gold um, to a certain extent. I mean, they want to at least uh, greatly expand their gold holdings. And in fact, it was just recently announced that they've uh, they've finally formally announced that their, their gold holdings, the official um, Chinese gold holdings has just been updated from something around a thousand tons to I believe it was 2700 tons or, or thereabouts which uh, puts it from a th- wait a minute from a thousand to 2700 that's a significant amount of uh purchase, isn't it's, it? It is uh, very significant, but in fact, uh, pretty much uh, if not in line with what uh, with what people were expecting, um, perhaps even even less than what people were expecting because it's been several years since uh, China has uh, formally um, updated their gold holdings, so people were, were expecting a significant shift. Um, and yes, I have those numbers in front of me. It was 1,054 tons in 2009. As of April last year, it was 2,710 tons. So yes, they've, they've almost tripled it in the last five years, at least Officially so. Um, so so that de- definitely moves them up. Um, they're definitely importing a lot of gold. Um, in fact, the uh, again, I had this, uh, this up on my screen somewhere. It was, I think, over 2,000 tons was imported um, for for uh, commercial purposes last year, which is, again, a staggering amount of gold is, is being sucked into China right now. I think part of this is because consumers understand that gold is going to be um, something that will outlast whatever happens with the yuan. And I think it's also because the government is trying to prop up what they're doing, the, the funny money that they're creating with something actually tangible. I was going to Go ahead. Are they promoting that the consumers in China purchase gold and silver? And if you buy the Chinese panda, which I do not, they they charge that premium for their panda, which is kind of, silver's got a, a value set they're, they're by the market manipulation, and they seem to be charging more for the pandas as well. Well, anyway, thanks, sir. Right. Well, I, I agree. I don't buy pandas myself. I've, I've certainly heard um, um, bad things about them, but it is interesting to hear, to, to see the, uh, the the takeoff in this uh, that's happening in China, just the, the culture of uh, gold buying. And again, uh, China has just surpassed, last year surpassed India as the largest gold importer, which is, pr- again, a staggering figure. And just another part of that uh, that attendant rise of China's economy in so many different ways. So, uh, so again, um, we find China in the driver's seat of this. 
And I think that uh, that the people in China understand and probably have a much better idea of what what's really behind their their economic um, growth than uh, than a lot of people in the West who just see, you know, Walmart and things like this and assume, well, you know, it's all backed up by their trade with America. I think that uh, the Chinese are, are in the meanwhile are looking for actual places that they can put their their physical money um, in, or put their money into something physical that they can actually hold. And it's interesting. I've I've no, uh, noted on this program before that uh, there was a Chinese company that recently bought uh, Chase Manhattan Plaza there in New York for uh, three quarters of a billion dollars. And uh, it's just part of that Chinese wave of money that's uh, flooding into real estate in the United States. But something that I didn't realize until recently is that Chase Manhattan Plaza also happens to be the home of the world's largest private gold vault. So <laughs> it's a very convenient Ooh. place uh, for some of this Chinese gold to be held, perhaps. At any rate, it's just another piece of that puzzle. Now, the question is then, uh, as John was mentioning, why do you not feel comfortable with purchasing the gold panda? Uh, pandas don't have a good reputation. Um, there's, uh, there, uh, again, uh, just in terms of purity and uh, and you know what you see is what you get. Um, pandas are oh, not I up see. there in terms of their 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 reputation. But um, but perhaps that's going to change. I mean, um, as the story started to break um, over the course of the last year or so, uh, a lot of tungsten has been showing up in the New York gold markets. Uh, people think they're they're buying gold. In fact, it's just a gold plated uh, tungsten. So uh, so people if again. Again, even if you hold it in your hand, you don't necessarily know what you're holding unless you drill into it. Um, it's getting crazier and crazier. And as as the demand for physical gold continues to take off, no matter what the, the paper price is doing, um, I think we'll start to see more and more of that type of manipulation. All right. Let me ask you real quickly before we go to Sean in Colorado. Let me ask you about um, uh, the dinar. A lot of people buying a lot of dinar thinking that it is going to... Uh, become very valuable. Your thoughts on that? Yes, I've I've heard about this, and um, again, I, I I know that there's a strategy that's supposedly behind this in terms of um, uh, Iraq is going to be. Um, collecting taxes from revaluation of the dinar so people are trying to invest in it because they think it's going to be a, a wise investment I, I i've heard this theory i i don't really know much about it i haven't researched it deeply so I'll, i can't really say about it directly um but I, again it sounds it, 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 there, there's always money to be made in these types of uh, speculations and and uh there's always there's always opportunities out there but i'm always extremely reticent about them in these types of get rich, rich quick by betting on certain paper currencies. I think um, generally you end up getting what you pay for, which is just pieces of colored paper that um, aren't worth the money they're printed <laughs> on. So so I tend to stay away from those types of fads and uh, and just concentrate on what's going to be there in the long run. And uh, and uh, again, I think precious metals are, are pretty good. I think real estate, anything that you can physically hold or physically live on is probably a, a good thing. All right, let's go to Sean in Colorado. Sean in Colorado, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. What's on your mind? Good morning. Good show. Always, always good to hear Mr. Corbett. Yes. And now this might maybe, uh, oh, the damage has already been done and may, may be kind of pointless at this point. But I, here's, here's what I was thinking about Fukushima. Okay, we, we need to build a, a dam that goes maybe out a quarter mile out in the ocean and just completely surround the thing. That way all this radioactive water that's being released would be at least somewhat contained. How about a double-walled earth dam for starters? And I don't know why they haven't done this. If we can build the Panama Canal 100 years ago, for crying out loud, we can do something like that and at least 
prevent the contaminated water from killing the entire Pacific Ocean. And there's one more thing. Um, if you go to one of these uh, coffee shops or cafes on the, on the side of the street and during the summer, and it's really hot out, and they have these mist sprayers, you know, like the water, like a mist to keep people cool. Well, why can't they make these things, uh, let's see, 100 feet, 200 feet up in the air, spraying boronated water all over the entire site? And then they can sweep it up and dispose of it somehow. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, your response, James? Well, I, I hear you on that. It's, it's absolutely frustrating to think that here we are and we're still dealing with the, just the seemingly daily occurrences of new new leaks and new new uh, findings of uh, different uh, high all-time record high radioactive readings, etc. And in fact, the latest is uh, inside Reactor 3. There's, uh, there's another new leak that's been discovered. And this one apparently involving one of the most important uh, safety systems in a nuclear reactor. This is in the Reactor 3 building. It's the main steam isolation valve. And as that name might imply, this uh, this valve is basically used to, to contain the steam um, that would arise from the pressure vessel in, in the case of an emergency like a, like an earthquake or what have you. And, uh, and this is apparently now leaking. And uh, they find that this is extremely um, radioactive water that's leaking out of there, meaning that this is probably w- water that was uh, that was going directly over the corium, as it's called, the, the radioactive cores that have melted through. And and so, uh, again, just another aspect to what's going on there. And as we know, of course, all of this radioactive water that they're pumping in on a daily basis, and they are pumping radioactive uh, pumping cooling water into the reactors on a daily basis to, to keep them um, uh, uh, under the, the boiling point, um, all of that water is being collected. And uh, within two years, they're going to have to start releasing it into the ocean because they do not physically have enough room to, uh, to to collect it all, although they say they're going to decontaminate it first, blah, blah, blah. I, I certainly hear your frustration, and there have been a lot of, some would say, rather wild proposals for different ways to contain this, including um, uh, they've uh, proposed and perhaps even started uh, actually putting concrete at the bottom of the bay there um, where the, the reactor is to, uh, to create a different, um, uh, basically, environment um, so that the sediment won't get um, dredged up and, and spread the radiation that way. Um, they've talked about this ice wall that they're going to place around, the, or they're going to try to place around the, the, the site so that uh, the, you know, when and if the, the cores actually melts straight through and into the groundwater, it won't spread to other parts of Japan, etc. They're, they're talking about all of these crazy ideas, and they're talking about the trillions of yen this is going to cost, and all of the time and effort that it's going to take and I understand I share the, the frustration and something needs to be done obviously but uh, again uh, it really depends on when and if uh, they're really going to open up the site seriously to international teams to help uh, with this right. effort do, do the people in Japan kind of just look askance or, or live in denial or play like it's not that big a deal or are they still eating do you think seafood do they sell it in the shops there I'm sad to say that I, uh, you know, I go by the, the sushi shops here uh, on a regular basis and they're always full of people, teams of uh, people and families. And, uh, the, you know, you don't really hear about people concentrating on, on that aspect of it um, in, in a lot of your everyday life here in Japan. People just continue to go on as normal. Um, I know that there, you know, there is a, a strong anti-nuclear sentiment here. There are people who are concerned about this. Um, the media does obviously doesn't dwell on this, but there, there is some coverage here that goes on, but it's not the type of coverage you would expect from an ongoing and unfolding disaster of this, this sort, um, perhaps to be expected from the traditionally staid and conservative 
of Japanese culture that doesn't like to rock the boat in any event and doesn't like to question authority, but still pretty disappointing on that front and disappointing and, and just heart-wrenching to see so few people actually are concerned about what they're putting in their bodies, which of course is the main way that this radiation is going to be affecting the people here in Japan. Absolutely. Um, any idea what you... Th- I, I want to move off of um, Fukushima onto the Russian Olympics, only because this is coming at such a bizarre time for them as they're bringing the uh, torch through the area there in, in Russia, uh, Volograd, where they had the problem before. Now they've got two guys coming on uh, television, full face, no, um, no, you know, no cover whatsoever, saying, uh, we did it and we're going to do some more bad stuff too at the Russian Olympics. And then, of course, you've got all these Alcaeda junior you know, franchise groups out there who they're covered to the hilt and nobody would ever find out who they are anyway. But um, it just seems a little bizarre. You know, do you think the Russian Olympics are going to be an issue? Do you think this is an agenda set up to create a problem and perhaps create, well, you know, their solution? Well, I think you hit the uh, the nail on the head with the Alcaeda comment and uh, and perhaps Alcaeda working through their Saudi cutouts who are funding and helping to destabilize that uh, that Caucasus northern Caucasus region where a lot of the, the the turmoil is taking place and has been for for at least a decade or or even two now in in Russia and of course is right on the edge of that Sochi area so where the Olympics are taking place so really a volatile situation and I don't know obviously what to expect but uh, but I think that it is rather ominous and a lot of the puzzle pieces are in place for for some bad events to be taking place I, I'm not sure they would be taking place at the uh, the games themselves I have no doubt that the uh, security is going to be mind-boggling and intimidating but uh, certainly in throughout that region um, there's going to be a lot of targets that I'm sure these people are going to be desperate to try to hit and I think the part of this we have to keep in mind is such things such pieces of the puzzle as the fact that the uh, Saudi intelligence chief um, Bandar uh, uh, Bandar Bush uh, Bandar bin Sultan um <laughs> Uh, visited Putin <laughs> last August and basically delivered a threat. Um, you don't, you, you, uh, if you stop us from from taking over Syria, of, uh, getting rid of Assad, we're going to make sure that the uh, the Olympic Games are not going to be fun for you. And this looks like the beginnings of that wi- uh, that uh, threat coming true. Mm-hmm. And then we've got North Korea, South Korea, and the uh, new challenges. And you know, story coming out saying, you know. Everything changes now because we just found out that North Korea has trillions of dollars worth of minerals. Yeah, you bet you just found out. But the whole idea, though, that the game has now changed and who has the game changed for and who is going to want to get those uh, minerals. And will they use the guise of, I don't care, the the man is being held there, you know, uh, for some alleged crime or I don't know. I mean, our ambassador to um, North Korea you know, the basketball player just went into alcohol treatment after a trip over there. I mean, this this is you can't make this stuff up, James. You can't because the uh, the the stuff the, the the news that comes out of the the North Korean situation is always just so off the charts crazy that um, people just tend to to write it all off as just craziness. Um, I think there is an agenda that's that's playing out on the Korean Peninsula, and um, it, I don't know if it's coming to a head, but certainly it's part of the the larger unfolding you know games that are being played in the Asia Pacific region generally and the tensions and all of this but I mean just the case in point is that story that that got floated about uh, Kim Jong-un 
feeding his uncle to a pack of wild dogs or, or whatever the story was, which was completely baseless and sourceless and came from a, came from a, a, a Taiwanese, I believe, uh, newspaper that, that has a history of uh, making stuff up about the North Koreans. So, I mean, there's all sorts of agendas being played out there. And uh, unfortunately, people are at the point where they can read something like that and not even think to question it. Just say, oh, you know, that's crazy Kim Jong-un for you. Meanwhile, the U.S. and South Korea are teaming up for their annual or biannual um, war games that uh, in the last uh, go-round last year, they actually dropped dummy munitions on the Korean peninsula from nuclear-capable uh, uh, B-2 bombers. So uh, so again, the provocations continue to happen. And then when North Korea responds with their usual bellicose, uh, ridiculous propaganda, everyone pretends that they're so shocked. And where is this coming from? So so again, all sorts of things happen there that, that don't get reported on. And then, of course, the, the things that do get reported on are just playing into that agenda that makes it seem like uh, everything that happens is North Korea's fault, when obviously there's a lot of provocation going on for a lot of different reasons. And uh, this mineral deposit that they've just discovered, quote unquote, is, again, just another part of that mix. <laughs> Trillions of dollars. We'll be back after this three minute break. Final segment coming up with James Corbett. A favorite guest of the Power Hour, finances and everything else, CorbettReport.com. We'll be right back. Three minutes. Joy Shrine. Welcome back to Power Hour. Thank you so much for joining us, caring about your world, doing the next right and honorable thing. We're talking to James Corbett today about what's happening around the world, financially and otherwise. And if you have a question, real quickly, if you can get it in to us at 855-995-6923, 855-995-6923. You know, we haven't really talked about what's going on here at home with respect to Obamacare, which, you know, it's kind of gotten into the background now that the website is allegedly up for a few people, I guess. We're not hearing anything about it now. This is the greatest robbery that has ever taken place in the middle class, in my estimation. And yet people on television, you know, the, the info babes, uh, uh, they're, they're like, well, uh, you know, we got to do it. We got to do it. So let's just do it. You know, I mean, people are now being forced to pay two thirds of their whole entire monthly income in some cases for health care. And this is not even health care. It's not health care at all. No, it's, it's. I know you're in Japan, so you're out of this mess. But still, yes, you're thankfully. Um, yes, but yeah. it is. I mean, it is a complete mess, and I think you're right. It's going to be one of the most significant drags on the American economy in the next couple of years that uh, that a lot of people haven't fi- figured into their calculations. And uh, remember, it's not Obamacare; it's the Affordable Care Act. Ha ha ha! What a uh, sick joke. Health Care Act. Yeah. Abominable, abominable Health Care Act. Exactly. That would be a more appropriate moniker. But it's one of those Orwellian terms that seem appropriate. And I think again, you're right. I mean, it's just insane um, the, the the premiums that some people are being asked to pay um, in this new regime. And I think that the website issue was always a kind of political distraction to the real core issues of what's going on here. And um, and the constitutional challenges and and legal challenges that continue to play out in the courts, there, there continue to be um, challenges that are making their way through. And more importantly, I think there are groups like the Tenth Amendment Center that are continuing to, uh, to push state nullification of these uh, of these federal laws, including the Affordable Care Act and and a lot of other ones, that I think is is more along the lines of what uh, what people should be looking at as a as a potential um, way out of this this situation. Obviously, again, any uh, law that the the United States federal government passes that is 
is unconstitutional and that the, the states don't have to go uh, abide by, they don't have to abide by them. And uh, laws can be nullified. It's it's just a, one of those those wonderful ideas from America's political history, but that they don't want you to know about and they want you to believe it's all about racism and, and segregation and slavery and all of these other things when, in fact, the real history of nullification shows that it was used in precisely the opposite manner by the northern states to try to uh, to nullify some of the uh, the federal uh, Fugitive Slave Act and, and other laws like that. So it the, again, all of the, the the scary rhetoric that people say about nullification is completely wrong. But it's one of the uh, the pos- possible uh, rays of rays of hope on the uh, on the horizon yeah. when it comes to these issues. Absolutely. Let me go to David real quickly in Alabama. David, go ahead, please. You're on with James Corbett. Yes, yes, Josh. I wonder how will that affect the uh, seafood industry in, in uh, on the West Coast, and will 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 the restaurants in Japan and United States become sustainable when they are sitting in the uh, those seafood restaurants glowing in the dark? You know, the seafood glowing in the dark mm-hmm. and yeah, the people no that glowing. Yeah, it yeah. might be the uh, the new attraction for these uh, restaurants. It could be their new gimmick. Um, no, but seriously, I I, I think that this is why uh, this is. Pr- I mean, this has to be one of the reasons why they're the uh, the government is trying with all of its might to ignore this issue at the current time. It is not even testing the water that's coming in because they don't want people thinking about this. They don't want any sort of mention of this because, again, any idea that that uh, that radiation is reaching the shores of the West Coast will have some uh, effect on on the seafood industry and. And they don't want anything to to mess with that uh, that gravy train. So uh, again, I think that has to be uh, one of the the key factors in all of this. It comes from the economic side of it. All right, thank okay. you very much, David. Thank you. Appreciate you. Um, we're out of time. Thank you so very much. Awesome program. You are just so welcome here at the Power Hour. A friend of the Power Hour, James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. Thank you so much, James, for staying up late for us and uh, being on the Power Hour again. We really appreciate you. I really appreciate it. All the best to you and your audience. Have a great day. Thank you. You have a blessed day. And we will be back after this one-minute, 10-second break. Stay tuned to the Power Hour. Power Hour.